The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Everybody and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. And it's Scary Tober, the time when we talk about monster type shows. Ooh, and uh, the episode that uh, the the pilot that we're covering in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's that's William. I'm Whitney. Hi, I'm William Bibiani. Everyone calls yeah. me Bibbs. I'm a critic. Right. He's Whitney Seibold. I'm Whitney Seibold. I'm I, I too am a critic. Um, this one is not so horror-oriented. This is actually a lot more noir. It's a detective program. But there's, there's but, an overlap. There's uh, a little bit of overlap. There's some monstrousness in it. It's definitely but, a monster uh, story. But you you mentioned the premise of this show, mm-hmm. and before you were even done, I was like, that. <laughs> and you started to like try to offer more details. Like, yeah. no, I don't need more. Stop drilling. You, you hit oil. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you gave me everything I needed. I, I don't need to know that Faye Dunaway is in it. You know, <laughs> she, I, I she mean, is. it helps. Yeah. Um, this month on uh, Cancel Too Soon, we brought Cancel Too Soon back for the month of October, and we're doing uh, a series of failed horror pilots uh, that struck us as very interesting. And we did one from Edward D. Wood Jr., uh, and we did one that was like a failed uh, TV series spinoff of House of Wax. Uh, and this one is a little different. Uh, Wendy already teased it a bit. It's more of a noir. It's more of a, uh, you know, uh, monsters wear trench coats too kind of thing. Uh, But the premise is gold. (laughs) The premise is this. Dinosaurs didn't die. They have been secretly living amongst humanity for millions of years. Using disguises. Using disguises. Well, it's it's actually explained in a, in a montage yes. that uh, they survived. Mm-hmm. They continued to evolve. Yep. They evolved into humanoid Bipad creatures. Type, yeah. You know, like, you know. And uh, there's a, a montage of like uh, how like lizard people mm-hmm. are worshipped in certain ancient cultures, mm-hmm. which was so, a pretty sweet deal for them for a few yeah, centuries. And, so. and then, then that very line of dialogue yeah. is a good good deal for us. But then there's images of like knights errant killing dragons mm. it was like and you know what nah. it, things kind of went south for us for a little while so they started to wear disguises mm-hmm. sometime in the middle ages so the premise of this show is it takes place in the present day it is about a velociraptor private detective and his partner a triceratops who get caught up in a big conspiracy to potentially like reveal the secret of dinosaurs to the world and also, they have hologram costumes. Yes. Um, this is Anonymous Rex. Secrets are like dinosaur bones. The deeper you dig, the dirtier they are. As a detective, I've realized every human has a secret. Well, I've got one of my own. 
and there's nothing human about it. He's one of them! Me and my kind have been hiding among you all along, blending in with humanity. But pretending to be something you're not for millions of years is bound to have consequences. Confrontation with humanity. What are you going to do about it? It's on. Sci-Fi Pictures presents Anonymous Rex. Premiere Saturday, November 13th at 9. <laughs> Dinosaur detectives, yo. Dinosaur um, detectives. That yeah. sounds like the kind of concept I would have come up with in the fifth grade. Yeah. And now, you know there, what? That's a fun. It's fun. It makes no sense, but it's fun. The, there was this weird trend, and this was—it's based on a novel uh, that I remember seeing mm. in a, every airport. Um, it's funny; I don't remember it at all. Uh, yeah, it's based uh, on Eric, novel, yeah, Eric Garcia, and yeah. uh, he wrote three novels in this series. The first one was called Casual Rex. Uh, no, actually, the oh, first no. one was Anonymous Rex. Then it had a prequel. So oh, chronologically, it's first. All right. That one's called Casual Rex, and that's the basis for this uh, pilot slash movie. Mm. It was released as a movie on Sci-Fi Channel. It was going to be a pilot for Fox. Uh, and then afterwards, there was, a, there was a sequel called Hot and Sweaty Rex. Mm. Sex nice. joke. Casual nice. sex. Oh, I the get it. Sex. I, I, yeah. Oh my god, I just got that. <laughs> Casual Rex. That's, that's the you gag. Know, sometimes I'm like, oh god. Mm. <laughs> You know, I only recently came to realize that I was asexual. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that tracks, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. It's a, it's a Seriously, it, that did not occur to me it's, until just now. It's a sex joke, but weirdly, these aren't horny dinosaurs. There's, there, there's, there's some, there's some, there's, well, I, the Triceratops has three of them. I'm sorry? It's, it's got three horns. Oh my god! What you rock right into that? <laughs> I, uh, I did. But there is a se- there all, is all three se- points of it. There is sex in the episode, and when mm. they have sex, it cuts to a flower blooming. Yes, <laughs> like it's like it's a movie from the nineteen so, fifties. Um, so yeah, there's there's two main di- and they ex- they have to kind of do a lot of backstory oh, throughout yeah. this. So there's a montage where they mm. explain that you know dinosaurs survived the meteor mm. and they went were worshipped for a long time, but yeah. then they started to wear disguises sometime in the Middle Ages, and they've. Uh, they even mentioned that their disguises used to be really unconvincing. Yeah. They could just cover their faces. Then they started, when rubbers started yeah. to come well, they start, into... The first uh, they had, like, parchment paper and, like, Corinthian leather. Oh, yeah, And yeah. then when that... When, then they started, like, upgrading into plastics and, mm-hmm. like, uh, 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 latex or vinyl. Uh, more... I guess that's more sexy. Uh, he, and then finally, now they've got, like, high-tech technology that makes them look human, but also, like, if you, like, grabbed them, you wouldn't think they were scaly. Yeah, it's got like, like a, some physical property. Like it looks like when they like turn it on, uh, it looks like it's a little physically discomfort discomforting mm. until it all like settles yeah, it, in. It, it kind of like squeezes their heads into yeah. place, but you know, it doesn't hurt, doesn't kill them. We we don't see the dinosaurs in dinosaur mode terribly often, and when we do, um, it's two thousand and four. Like made CGI, for TV yeah. CG, where it's like, uh, you know what? A rubber head would have been better. A rubber head would have been a lot better. It would have been more convincing. Really good mask. Yeah, it would have been a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. It would have been better for everybody involved. Yeah. And, uh, Sam Trammell is mm-hmm. the, the lead actor in this one. He mm-hmm. plays uh, the characters named Vincent Rubio. Yeah. Uh, uh, you uh, might he, recall Sam I, Trammell from True Blood, where he was... He wasn't a werewolf. He was like a... He was... He was some kind of transforming. He played type. another creature. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in he was in True Blood. He was one of the main characters in True Blood. But uh, I'm not terribly familiar with uh, with yeah. Sam Trammell. Um, yeah, but he's he's sort of like he has what what I often refer to as protagonist syndrome, mm-hmm. where because he's the narrator and because he's the one who has to sort of mm. uh, react to everything, he has sort of a baseline 
personality. Like, yeah. he's not a quirky character. Main characters are really the quirky ones. Yeah, which is weird because there actually is some, like, at least on paper, interesting, like, inner conflict between uh, within him where, mm-hmm. like, he actually feels, like, really tempted by some really dark things later in the uh, later in the film. Yeah. But, um... The, the movie doesn't seem uh, the pilot doesn't seem terribly convinced by that, so yeah. it just kind of undermines it a little bit. Uh, uh, his, his partner is played by Daniel Baldwin, the, the the least of the Baldwins, one might say. Oh no, that's that that's Stephen Baldwin now. St- Stephen Baldwin was he got like now. work. Stephen Baldwin. Well, I mean, Alec is the only one still standing. Well, and, and, and he's and he's, he's, he's and not he's, in, he's in having the some, best graces right now. No, no. Well, he, no. I, I mean, the, the poor guy was. Oh, on the wrong end of a horrible accident. So uh, yeah, 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 I know. I'm just saying it's it's rough on all. The Baldwins aren't aren't doing so hot right now. Mm. Uh, and yeah. but Daniel Baldwin was never the big Baldwin. There was like a moment mm. where it seemed like William Baldwin was going to be a big deal with like Flatliners, mm. and then he was in um, uh, Fair Game, the Sydney the mm. Cindy Crawford movie. That's right. And everyone's like, oh, Cindy Crawford's going to be a big actor now. Nope. 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 Uh, it, tur- it turns out she is not a good actress. <laughs> not, not really. I mean, no worse than a lot of other people who had acting careers, I suppose. But yeah. it just they didn't take off. Um, and then uh, Stephen Baldwin had mostly in the late '90s. He was in Usual Suspects. He was in a couple of like kind of prominent films. I, I will give Stephen Baldwin this. You know, he's been vocal about subjects I don't agree with him on. Uh, the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Oh, he played one of the Flintstones, didn't he? He played Barney. He played Barney Rubble? He played Barney oh Rubble. And this is a role that he took over. It's a prequel. He took over from Rick Moranis. That was the previous mm-hmm. live-action Barney Rubble. Very different actor. And I'm going to say something I never thought I'd say. Stephen Baldwin is better than Rick Moranis. A bold statement, sir. And honestly, statement. And honestly, Mark Addy, better than John Goodman. I never saw Fever Rock. A few people did. But oh, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not that bad, actually. You'd, you'd, right. you'd imagine it's absolutely god awful and terrible. It's actually got some funny jokes. The I've, cast I've is seen really the, good. The '94 film, and that that's just a big stink. The '94 film, it feels like John Goodman and Rick Moranis are there for the paycheck. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, who do we get? Who's like, who's like the biggest actor who can kind of pull off Fred? Mm. John Goodman has played like you know the workaday stiff on like Roseanne for so many mm. years. It made sense, and that's right? The with Fred Flintstone, but he's kind of coasting in that one. He's not yeah. really bringing a lot to it. Like John Goodman's a brilliant actor. Feels like that one was a paycheck movie. Uh-huh. It feels like Mark Addy and Stephen Baldwin are desperately trying to make something of this. Like they're really trying. <laughs> so. Kudos to them for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, Daniel Baldwin. I mean, what else? What, what else is he famous for? John Carpenter's vampires. That, like, that, that's kind of what I know him for. Yeah. His vampires. Um, he, he, he was he's a perfectly uh, adequate actor. He's not a bad. He, actor. he was in a really horrendous noir film in the mid '90s called Mulholland Falls. Not to be confused with Mulholland Drive. Oh, was that? Um, you know, I actually never saw that, and I heard some some people I know say it's good. You think it's bad? I, it, uh, to be fair, it's been quite a mm-hmm. quite a time since I've seen it. Yeah. But yes, I, I remember it being just <laughs> abysmally terrible. Okay, um, it's like Nick Nolte film. So good, like good cast, like John Malkovich and Jennifer Connelly is in it. So like Sam Trammell plays like the sort of the younger, handsomer Velociraptor that we're used to, uh, and uh, Daniel Baldwin plays like the older, kind of schlubby, down mm-hmm. on his luck. His girlfriend left him. Yeah, uh, kind of like uh, sad sack partner uh and uh they they wind up it, it's interesting because it starts out with a line i couldn't actually believe well actually no it starts off with one of my one of my least favorite tropes ever 
Oh, which where is, it's like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. The, yeah. But the, there's... You, you start with action just so you can, like, kind of explode right onto mm-hmm. the screen, and then it turns out that's going to happen later in the story. So then right. I flash back and catch you up. But the thing is, though, is that there's a very particular version of that, and I've talked about it a lot, and I really got to come up with a name for it, where it doesn't feel like it was planned. It's like Fight Club feels like it was planned to start mm-hmm. that way. Uh, there are certain... I find that happens a lot in TV. Mm-hmm. There's certain stories, films, books, comics even. Well, no, I guess not. It could be mostly movies and TV. Um, where it feels like they made the episode, mm-hmm. they realized the beginning was boring, and they just plucked a scene from the end yeah. and put it at the beginning with a voiceover, but that scene was never meant to stand alone. That scene was never actually... It's, it's allegedly an exciting scene, but you remove it from the context, mm-hmm. and it just feels awkward. And here, the big moment is Sam Trammell, our hero velociraptor, is standing next to a truck, and a guy walks up to him and says, open the truck. And he's like, yeah, I know, it's pretty intense, right? You won't believe how I got here. It's a truck. That's all we know, <laughs> is that there's a truck there. You're, you're giving us nothing. Mm. You're, this is the big dramatic moment for you? My God. Like, how, And the thing is, the opening of the episode isn't that dull, actually. It starts off with them on like a, a, a stakeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam and Daniel Baldwin He's talking about his ex-girlfriend Sam Chimel doesn't want to hear about it uh, They find their guy He walks in front of their car They're there to kill him mm-hmm. Because he saw a dinosaur And they have to keep the conspiracy down So they're here to like apprehend him And then the police are going to come in The police officer's mm-hmm. a stegosaurus And uh, not that we ever see it And uh, yeah, and they're supposed to kill this guy That's what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do And it turns into a chase His hologram thing turns off And he's running around like a velociraptor Yeah, you can see the dinosaur It's actually kind of exciting You know, like at least more Uh, exciting than what they chose It's a neat idea I feel like uh, 2004 was a little too late for this Because they needed to lean into modern special effects Mm. And I can see, you know, the 1987 of this Clear as a bell Where, like Everything uh, fails, and the guy's sort of in like the the salmon colored leisure suit, and like with the dinosaur head. It's like that. Okay, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. a show I want to see. But because they have the CGI, it doesn't hit that hard. No, it's looks, like it looks really just silly. Yeah, like again, if you just had a rubber head, mm. it would have at least cut a dashing figure. Like I can see this working as like an underground comic book series, a la like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. All black and white and scratchy and moody and just but the, the cops are dinosaurs. Yeah, well it's yeah. like um what's um what's that one where it's like a, a private detective but he's an anthropomorphic cat? Uh, oh, uh, it's like a video game, right? Uh, it was turned into a video game, but it was originally it was called, a, like a black hat or something. Black Sad. Black Sad. Black Sad, a very frustrating video game. It's one yeah. of those point-and-click adventure kind of vibes, but okay. it's also one of those ones where you're like, it's not intuitive at all, mm. and like you're just after a while you're just hunting for the right pixel to click on, mm. and even though it doesn't actually make it's sense a, anymore. But that that sort of idea that you are, mm. we're going to have sort of a classic uh, character from from an adult s- mm. sort of a story, usually yeah. a detective story, but they're unusually cartoonish in some kind of way. Yeah, or there's uh, there's a, there's a genre element. Yeah. It's they're a, a cop but in space. They're right, a maybe cop we'll, but they're secretly uh, an alien. Maybe we'll talk about this on Cancel Too Soon at some point because they finally put it online mm. and it was never completed. So it's like only a partial pilot. Yeah, what? Uh or not a partial pilot. It's like a piece of a movie uh-huh. uh, for a film called Swirly uh with a W. And the idea okay. was it's about the sort of like 
embittered noir character is just sort of angry with the world and he can't uh, get along with anybody. And it's because his head is an ice cream cone. Mm. He's like Mr. Swirly. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Mr. Front that you see on the side of the ice cream exactly trucks. Like, like a, what if what if that guy was just like a, a horny dickhead? Yeah, and like has to hide away in like a refrigerated apartment. Well, there, there's two ways to do that. One, there's the funny juxtaposition. Yeah, like uh, we're gonna do like a hard boiled cop thing, but he's a butt, and that's how mm. you got the Adult Swim series Assy McGee. Mm. Uh, real thing real thing yeah. kind of funny actually um but then there's the one where we're actually trying to sort of let these things play off of each other and sort of the grim seriousness of the mm. film noir uh aesthetic and storytelling style uh lends a certain uh heftiness or weight mm. to a concept that might otherwise be deemed kind of fanciful and silly you know we had cast a deadly spell i was just about to bring up cast a mm. deadly spell which is a film noir uh set in a in an alternate version of the 1940s where everyone knows magic yeah and there are like zombie bodyguards and people go on unicorn hunts mm-hmm. and things it, it's great you know, light cigarettes like from the palms yeah. of their hands it's got kind of fred ward it's got julianne moore it's directed mm-hmm. by martin campbell before he did the james bond it, movies it's really good it's really it's good, really good. Yeah, um, that one works really really well but then you also have the one where it's just absolutely silly like fish police which is a show <laughs> we've been meaning to do for a long time on cancel too yeah, soon yeah. uh or we um, should do uh, fish police capital critters and family dog all at once like because yeah. I, I think those were all in the same year yeah there was this whole like, like 92 at, around there after the simpsons really hit big there was a movement to try to get a, more animation at the prime time which you know been done before but the simpsons kind of broke it open again and f- for whatever reason nothing clicked for a while yeah and it, it, what's weird is that they didn't even try to rip off the simpsons very much like Family uh, Guy eventually felt like a Simpsons like a, a derivation, kind of a, yeah, a knockoff. A little <clears throat> but bit. like, well, it's it's just Family another Dog family sitcom. But yeah. yeah, but Family Dog was a, was a different vibe. It was kind mm. of a sitcom, but not really. Fish Police was a very fucking different thing. Capital mm. Critters is very different. <clears throat> very strange. Um, but it, I, I feel like with Anonymous Rex, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting a little bit more into the Cast a Deadly Spell territory. Mm. They they do focus on the dinosaurs a little too much. Like, mm-hmm. look, here's the dinosaur mm-hmm. effect. Uh, but they spend so much time exploring dinosaur lore and eventually actually really getting into the story. Mm. This is an absurd premise. Oh, Dinos- dinos- Dinosaurs in disguise and they're detectives. We, we picked uh, this because we thought it was a joke. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like a sketch it's, that got out of hand. And and clearly that's the idea. And if you're writing some sort of like comedic airport novel, mm-hmm. fine. That, that's a great premise for a comedic airport novel. Uh, dude, this, um, this novel was kind of critically acclaimed. Anonymous mm-hmm. Rex, Entertainment Weekly gave it an A. They okay. call it, quote, witty, fast-paced detective work makes for a good mystery, but the story's seamlessly conceived dinosaur underworld contains all the elements of a cult classic. Yeah, so... Rave reviews! That's incredible. The, you can be weird on the page, and yeah. also when you're reading... You don't really have to look at a dinosaur in disguise. Right. It's all, in, you know, it's all it, a little bit more uh, academic. If in the if in your head you want to imagine like an actual velociraptor in a trench coat and a hat, funny image, mm. you can do that. But you're picturing the version of a velociraptor private detective that your head can accept. Yeah, that looks yeah. good to you. And when the movie, the filmmakers or the TV uh. storytellers decide that for you, and they pick a a weird one, it hurts yeah well and but the makers of this are clearly trying to uh do they're, they're trying to do the best anonymous rex they can yeah with this really absurd premise and by 2004 i feel like absurdity like 
that kind of absurdity was out of vogue. Uh, mm. There was a different kind of absurdity in vogue. There was a, a little bit more of an aggressive, uh, like smashing to the floor, adult swim level of absurdity. Like, yeah, it, that, were... that, like everything was really kind of caustic. Uh, the, the idea of being uh, really off-putting and grating was kind of part of the joke yeah. in, in a lot of stuff from the early 2000s. <clears throat> uh, whereas... Teehee, a funny show about a, a dinosaur detective, mm-hmm. uh, was seemed, I think, a little bit too twee or quaint at that point. I think this probably would have benefited from being a little less self-serious yeah, and having yeah. like a little bit more of a sense of humor about itself because it's... So they're, it, they're it, trying it, to play it, like like I said, they're trying to play yeah. it, do it as best that they can. They're trying to play it really straight. Yeah, I'm just not entirely sure that was the best move. The, uh, real fast, I want to give like some credit to the, the actual people who made this are no slouch. It was directed. Well, it, was, it was written by Joe Minoski, who yeah, is a, a TV veteran. I own from yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, he wrote an episode we literally just reviewed on our uh, Patreon podcast, all our yesterdays, reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. He co-wrote Darmok. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, it's we, one of the we, best was, episodes of Trek our, ever. It was the uh, last one we recorded as of yeah. this recording. Weird synergy, totally unplanned. Uh, Odd, and it was directed by Julian Gerald, who's uh, probably not you know well known as a name, but you might be familiar with their work. Uh, they directed that uh, Hitchcock movie, The Girl. Uh, they directed the movie Kinky Boots before it became like a hit oh, musical. Okay. Um, they did a lot, a lot of work on television, like really prominent shows. He was he did uh, he did Cracker. Um, he had Coronation Street. I mean, or did that ninety nine version of Great Expectations? Not the movie, the the BBC version. Yeah, he directed four episodes of The Crown. Like he's he's a big deal on television, and he's done a couple of prominent movies. And Kinky Boots was like one year after this, so it's not like this derailed him in any way. So, actually, a good pedigree. And again, you know, Sam Tramiel, Daniel Baldwin, eh, not amazing, but pretty good gets for TV. Uh, and as your weird cameos, as part of the secret dinosaur council, you've got literally Faye fucking Dunaway and Isaac Hayes. I'm, I'm guessing they didn't tell them what they were in. <laughs> yeah. They didn't give them the whole script. They gave them yeah. like two pages because uh, they, they each have like a line each. They're barely in it. They never stand up. They're no. literally sitting at a table in one room it's playing one of those Mahjong. Where, it's like we, we have them for two hours kind of thing. It really yeah. they, they have them for two scenes, but they clearly shot them at the same time yeah. and got them out in half a day. And bless them. Bless them for 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 deigning to give this their their stamp. Here, here here's what I like to think: like Faye Dunaway doesn't yeah. have a job that morning. Yeah, and she sort of calls her agent. Hey, what's filming today? Yeah, and they say, well, we got this dinosaur. There. Don't, so, don't you know? Just you don't need to tell me what it is. Just I'm, where's the set? I'm bored. I want to work. I'm bored. She goes there. They put her through costume and makeup, and maybe an hour, like nothing at all. She she's already made up because she, she's fade down. She's yeah, fade down away. She has like did her makeup that morning. They put her in a costume. They say, uh, "Sit here. Here's your line." But this is my line. Yes, she says her line. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it. Yeah. They hand her a hundo, <laughs> and she walks out and gets dinner with it, and then she forgets all about everything she did that yeah. day. This will not it's be like, in her in her autobiography. No. Know? Whereas Isaac Hayes campaigned furiously for this role, no doubt. <laughs> Um, there's, that's a joke, but like, there's actually, um, it's weird. There actually is a method to getting big actors in tiny things. Mm. And, uh, it, the method comes from, of all people, Uwe Boll. That's right. Uva Boll. What, what, 
what's your schedule? Like, are you free, yeah. essentially? Uwe Boll's considered one of the worst filmmakers who ever lived, but he kept getting, for a long time, pretty big actors in his movie. Like, who played the bad guy? And he worked guy a in, lot, yeah. Who played the bad guy in Blood Rain? Ben fucking Kingsley, for Christ's sake. Uh, if you look at his movie, uh, this is actually a great example of what we're talking about, his movie uh, In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. Who plays the evil wizard? Ray Liotta. He's not even trying to do something Tolkien-esque. He's just being Ray Liotta. <laughs> You've got Burt Reynolds as the king, also not trying mm. to make it look in any way medieval. He's just Burt Reynolds. The reason he was able to get those big names is that he didn't care who he got. Yeah. If you don't care who plays the role, all you have to do is call around town and ask who's not busy this week and just offer them money. Yeah. Hey, you're not doing anything this week? Wanna you want to sit? Yeah. You want to come in for a couple of days? sit in the chair, say some ostentatious things, and get a paycheck, and Ben Kingsley's like, sure. Done. Mm. <laughs> that's how it that's how it is. As long it doesn't matter if you're right for the role. What matters is you're a big name and we can put you on the on the poster or on the front of the DVD. And that happens sometimes. It like works. So, someone will yeah. just be in the same studio that day. Yeah. Um I learned um when Greta Gerwig was filming Barbie uh, John Cena is in that movie. He he plays a, a mermaid for Merman. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that for a um, second. Yeah, he does. He heard that Barbie was shooting across the street from the studio where he was shooting yeah. something else. And he just went across the street and said, hey, can I be in Barbie? I'd love to be in Barbie. Yeah. Like, they didn't have a part for me. Just, I want to be in your movie somewhere. Yeah. Say, so you want to put on a mermaid tail? Put you out in the out in the ocean next to Dua Lipa. Yeah. We had a, uh, we, we did a podcast a couple months ago that was, uh, an iron list of the best movie cameos ever. And one of the ones I picked was literally that. They were filming that uh, Christmas rom-com, The Holiday. Mm. And there's a scene where Jack Black and Kate Winslet are in a blockbuster and they're sort of talking about movies and movie scores. And while they were filming at this blockbuster video, mm. Dustin Hoffman showed up to rent a movie, <laughs> saw that they were making a movie, and they were like, Oh, let's put him in the movie. And so now there's a joke in the movie. They wrote it on the fly where Jack Black is like talking about the score to The Graduate and he kind of like is a little embarrassing by singing Mrs. Robinson. Uh-huh. And then it just cuts to one shot of Dustin Hoffman going, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it it's great. Itself, yeah. It's wonderful. It fits the movie. It's great. Just, you, you, you roll with what you got. Um, so yeah, they're in this movie. Um, the plot of of the... Th- oh, and the, by the way, before I... I, I realize I'm being incredibly annoying, but um, one of the first lines of dialogue uh, in the movie is um, they're sitting in a car. They're about mm-hmm. to go on that big adventure. And there's a voiceover where Sam Jamel says, nobody wants to grow up to be a private investigator. <laughs> no. <laughs> a lot of people dream of that. Oh my God, movies no, make they... it look so cool. Of course people dream of growing up to be a private well, investigator. The... We, we don't think about the practicalities yeah, but, of it. But the reality of your does? You're sitting in cars a lot. I remember uh, hearing a, a, a This American Life episode about actual private investigators. They yeah. wanted to know what it was really like. Yeah. Uh, just like in the movie Chinatown, it's mostly just people investigating infidelity. Yeah. Like, like the tr- vast trying, majority. Trying, yeah, trying to catch a, a cheating partner of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and... It's also, yeah, completely unromantic. They're just sort of in crappy mm. cars a lot. They're yeah. just sort of following people around. Checking people and, on the internet and shit. And yeah. and and, uh, and it's never, like, as salacious or dramatic as all that. It's like, okay, yeah, you, you caught your wife with another guy. Mm-hmm. It's just another guy. You know, mo- like it's, most, it's most, like, le- most legal cases aren't a John Grisham thriller yeah. either. 
But when you put them all in an aggregate, when you watch a ton of movies and TV shows about private investigators, it seems like it's always exciting. Yeah. Because those are the only stories you bother telling. Mm. You don't bother you bother with the dull ones. Uh, so, but, you know, I appreciate that. That And this is them trying to make this kind of, mm. I don't want to say gritty, because it's not, like, violent and dark. No. But they're trying to add a little grit to they're, it. They're trying and, to make um, it, trying, they're begging you to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, the the and we we mentioned that yeah they're following a guy and his mask flickers on and off yeah. and they have to they sort of like to like hide him off to the side while some humans approach yeah uh, they refer to humans as apes I'm not sure if that's a, a, a slur I feel like it uh, is and there's a, a few details we haven't mentioned the uh, mm. William Baldwin character has a teenage daughter mm-hmm. uh, and who, oh uh, and and one of the things that uh, we, even when you're in a human disguise dinosaurs can tell other dinosaurs because they can smell their pheromones yeah and every dinosaur has a particular scent like this mm. one smells like bacon or this yeah. one uh, smells like whatever uh, and there's this weird moment where Sam Trammell is talking about his partner's attractive teenage daughter mm. and he says oh and she smells mm. like peaches and cream peaches. every day and peaches. I'm like Sam come <laughs> on dude Jesus fucking Christ. But it turns out that's an important plot point. Yeah. yeah. Because it Uh, turns out that, uh, and we find this out pretty quickly, uh, she's human. mm Mm-hmm. He adopted a human child. But she thinks she's a dinosaur. No, no, she doesn't. She thought she was a dinosaur for a while, but now she knows, and they're actually, like, applying, like, stuff to the back of her neck every day. Uh, Again, I thought it was against her, because there was a scene Mm. later where she's, uh, she's, like, making out with her boyfriend, who's Mm. also a dinosaur. Yeah. And... Uh, she hasn't ever let her disguise drop, and he's yeah. like, "I, I want to see what your face looks like." He's like, "Oh no, I, I can't. I, I don't. I'm not ready to show you yet." Yeah. And I thought she thought she was a dinosaur. No, no, no. I, I think if you pay a little closer attention, no. They, oh, she knows. Yeah. She, she like when she was she was raised for a few years when she was younger, mm. and then they say there's like a flashback where it's all about how like you know he gave her a choice. Like you can I can let you go and let you be raised by humans, or you can be raised as a dinosaur with me, but you have to pretend to be a dinosaur. Mm. And she chooses to be a dinosaur, but she's, <laughs> she's pl- three. I don't know. Yeah, because but there, it gets to the point where it becomes really complicated because who's she dating? A dinosaur. Mm. The dinosaur wants to show like, here's who I really am. It's like like the first time your partner sees you naked. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal, and. He's like very wants to be intimate and share things, and she's like, "Oh, I'm not ready yet, and I literally never will be because I'm not a dinosaur." Is the subtext, but <laughs> she can't tell right, him I... because she'd be executed, and so would her dad. For really some reason, I thought she thought she was a dinosaur, no. like she was a human, and they were like those like those pheromones, like we're doing yeah. something to her brain. And no, no, like, no, it's it's no, it, that's yeah. not. Um, but he, okay, but he has a human teenage yeah. daughter. Yeah, and this this is an important plot point uh, uh, yeah. later. The the main mystery involves uh, the brother of Daniel Baldwin's ex girlfriend that he's yeah. talking about a lot. Yeah, uh, he's dead. Hmm. Uh, her, he's, his, his he's, ex-girlfriend, he's the victim. His ex girlfriend comes into the picture and says, "Oh, it's like, oh, I, I really needed to see you." And Daniel Baldwin's like, "Oh, I really need to see you too. I almost called you last night. I was thinking about you. My brother died." Oh. You need me to look into that? Yes, I need to look into that. Okay. So they're going to look into the mysterious death of this one dinosaur. And it looks like it may be a case of a dinosaur ending their own life, but they quickly realize, no, it's a murder, and it's going to be connected to a vast conspiracy. Yeah, uh, which, which it would be, wouldn't it? Uh, the kind, I guess it's sort of like the dinosaur equivalent of the Freemasons. Like, mm-hmm. there's this weird cult. Uh, let me look up what it was called. Um, oh, uh, it's the... Um, uh, the Voice of Progress. Yeah, and it's yeah, um, 
and they go to like this sort of underground cult meeting and it feels a lot like the movie metropolis where mm-hmm. she's talking like this highfalutin language well, about like living free well what it what it felt like to me was that they were trying to go for uh the movie blade uh hmm. if you recall in the well, movie that's right there's a whole underground yeah, society like vampires are, are real like any story where vampires are real but it takes place in the present day in the so-called real world there has to be an element of secrecy, doesn't there? Which means that they are actively keeping a secret. Ergo, it becomes kind of a secret, kind of Illuminati cabal kind of thing. In Blade, and a lot of other stories a lot like this, where there is like a secret society of like powerful beings, witches, vampires, werewolves, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's always some who resent having to hide. Yeah, and what they're campaigning for, Stephen Dorff was doing this in Blade, the villain in this show is uh, is doing it. Uh, what they're campaigning for is, let's just let our freak flag fly. Let's just be dinosaurs, eat the humans if they piss us off, and let them get used to it. And the counter argument is apparently one in every ten thousand people on the planet is a dinosaur. That's that's a lot. It's a lot, but it isn't, is it? Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna. How many people are on the planet compared to dinosaurs? The vast majority. Point to what is it? you said one in, in every ten thousand. Yeah, but if you're talking about you know billions of people, Granted, that's a lot of dinosaurs. But if you're in, if you're going to war, what what side of the war do you want to be on? The one that outnumbers the opposing side ten thousand to one. Uh, Pro- probably. I, I, I su- yeah. And I'm just like it's a it's a practical consideration that they have mm-hmm. to that they have to take into account. So you said like one in ten. What was it? One in one ten thousand. I believe they said one in ten thousand. One in ten thousand is, a is, a di- is yeah. And they made it sound like it's occasionally like people will just give birth to a dinosaur randomly. <laughs> I don't know. They were I, also I, do do they lay eggs because they are reptiles. They would, wouldn't yeah. they? That would be the thing. They don't really get into that. They get into a lot of detail here. Like mm. they clearly. Knew that people would ask questions. And, like, I was literally thinking to myself uh, as the story progressed. Okay, now you have hologram projectors that make people think you're human. What did you do for the other two, two, three, four thousand, five hundred thousand years? And they said, sometimes we were able to go without costumes. Cool. The idea that their costumes were made of paper was a little flimsy in more ways than one. Ah, flimsy. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't get in the water. But uh, eventually they say, yeah, and we had, like, rubber suits. And I'm like, that would be very unconvincing. This total, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not not Lonely Island. Uncanny Valley. Oh, right. The Uncanny <laughs> the, Valley. The Lonely Island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know why I did that. Andy Samberg shows up for yeah, some reason. Yeah, great. Um, so it answers those questions. There's some fun details that I kind of like. There's a cute bit where... Um, uh, Again, there aren't a lot of dinosaur people, but in order to maintain their secrecy, dinosaur people tend to place themselves in key aspects of society. So you'll find a dinosaur in just about every police precinct. Mm-hmm. You'll find a dinosaur in every like hospital. Uh, it's just a matter of waiting around long enough that the dinosaur will pick up on your pheromone. So there's a bit mm-hmm. where they go into like a government office. And the secretary is not helping them at all because she's not a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And they're just stalling for time as their pheromones waft through the air conditioning until finally some guy says, oh, excuse me, can I help you, gentlemen? Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of cute. And then it turns out that he, like Daniel Baldwin, is also a triceratops. 
and it turns out that Triceratops are herd animals, and they're really chummy whenever they run into each other. I like that detail. That was really cute, right? And the whole thing is, like, he had another dinosaur who worked with him, and he was one of the murder victims, and uh, now he's really, really lonely, and they're like, we have so much, like, legwork to do and so much to investigate, but Daniel Baldwin says, no, we can sit around and have lunch with you for an hour, and he's like, yay! (laughs) And that was cute, actually. That was, like, kind of nicely thought out, kind of whimsical. Good stuff. Um, Adding some levity to this. Yeah. This this is a ridiculous dinosaur show. Yeah. And they're not trying to be funny about it. Yeah. There aren't too many... There's not, like, dinosaur jokes. They don't make dinosaur puns. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there isn't even a crack about how, oh, that's fuck Spielberg. Right? Like, he got everything wrong. Like, something like that. Something like that would have been fine. But no, they're 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 desperately trying to make sure we take this seriously, and it's like we take it a little bit more seriously if the characters didn't take themselves so seriously. Mm. That's something. That, there used to be more freedom in this in this kind of genre stuff to be humorous without being just flip, which yeah. is kind of what became of like the post Joss Whedon MCU mm. universe that we live in. Um, I, I place most of the blame on Joss Whedon. Him and Kevin Williamson, they were kind of had yeah. a, but Kevin Williamson, a, a bit of a similar shtick. But yeah. yeah, but Joss Whedon like infected like a lot of different genres, mm. whereas Kevin Williamson mostly stayed in the horror and the uh, mm, like teen, teen drama. Teen romance, yeah. Yeah, but um, if you go back to one of the great sci-fi movies of all time, a movie that people take very seriously, Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. You know what that movie is? Funny sometimes. It's, it's, it's absurd and strange, but yeah, yeah. they... they Make ape jokes. Yeah, the character says "human see, human do" at one point. Yeah, like they're actually making jokes about like, it. There's a certain amount of levity to it, but it's, it originates from the characters. They're people. They would laugh at things, mm. but then also it's a really tragic story about the downfall of humanity and mm. uh, you know sort of the hypocrisy of, of of sentient existence and the plight of nuclear war and. All of that stuff can be taken completely seriously while you can still, like, actually do visually on screen the The see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil apes. You can do that, too. And and it takes a deft hand. Yeah. I'll grant you that. Not everyone's got that in them. Or even if, like, let's say the screenwriter does, doesn't mean the director does or vice Mm. versa. And sometimes... Again, one of the best like advice I ever heard about making a movie was from Sidney Lumet, who just said, "Make sure everyone's making the same movie." Yeah, yeah. You know, don't let anyone think that they're making a serious movie when everyone else is making a comedy. You you got to make sure we're all on the same page, and sometimes that's not the case. Here, though, it feels like if there was quirkiness, if there was humor, it got kind of sanded down. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. Because I feel like what... And I blame this all on just the era. Yeah. I think just that kind of humor was simply out of vogue in 2004. It was. And it was, I, it was this, this is the same year as Saw. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we weren't in a... A, 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 a light, frivolous mood yeah, as a there, culture. There wasn't a lot of levity just going around. But I also think that they're trying to do something here. They're trying to create uh, an allegory here for any group of people that feels the need not to reveal themselves in public for fear of something. Mm. Uh, we've seen this with the vampires. We've seen it with dinosaurs here. It's basically just uh, they're in the closet. True Blood actually had this was about this as well, where the premise of True Blood was it's a few years after they invented synthetic blood and vampires didn't have oh, to yeah, kill they can, anymore. They and so they came outside, out of the yeah. coffin is the joke in that, in oh, that show. That uh, and now they're actually like integrating into society proper, but that creates a whole lot of unexpected sort of growing pains. Uh, 
here we're before that. And Sam Tramiel's character is actually unusually like conflicted. He talks about there's like a flashback sequence where he was in love with a human and he had to like break her heart because he couldn't mm. reveal himself to her and that's really torn at him. And when they get to this, was it the Voice of Progress? Uh, the voice, uh, yes. Yeah. When they get to the Voice of Progress and they go to this uh, big party, where uh, they're the leader of the Voice of Progress is mm. giving a speech and talking about how and that's mm. um mm. Sir, was that Cersei played Cersei. by yeah. yeah Tamara Gorski is the actress's yeah. name. Uh, she gives a speech about how living a lie, not living your truth, is painful, and it hurts every single day. And our protagonist actually understands that, and feels that, and even when it's revealed that people in her organization, maybe not Cersei herself, uh, are planning to basically get a whole bunch of dinosaurs really high and make them go on like a killing spree in public yeah, uh, and, and thus outing the dinosaurs and forcing everybody to deal with which it. Which is the ex- kind of the exact same plot of alienation when you mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, he's actually tempted. Mm-hmm. He's actually like, honestly, it would be such a relief not to have to pretend anymore. Yeah. And Sam Trammell is a good actor. I don't know if he's got the gravitas needed to sell that weariness. He's got this kind of boyish charm to him. And it feels like they were kind of like hoping to play into that. But the character is written as a little more bedraggled. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think I know if it's the best casting, but Uh, um, he's not bedraggled. He's a little bit more of like a heroic everyman. Yeah. Uh, He, he delivers exposition very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's, uh, he, it, it, a show I'm very fond of is Burn Notice because I mm. think it it plays with uh, narration very well, and mm. uh, Jeffrey Donovan plays the lead character, and he says you know, he's constantly talking to the audience, you know, about when you're a spy, sometimes you have to do embarrassing things, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he has like a little bit of um, humor to it, but he's also very deadpan, and it yeah. takes a certain kind of actor to do that, and he does this very well. Yeah, uh, he keeps us on track. And that's important when you're doing something as crazy as dinosaurs in disguise. Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't, he's not like a... He's not selling inner conflict terribly well. Yeah, he doesn't seem very torn. I get that he has like a bit of a romance, but mm-hmm. he should be playing not a a detective. He should be playing like a police chief. Yeah. He should be like in a position of authority over other dinosaur characters. Mm-hmm. He's sort of like the balancing presence. And... The uh, Baldwin character isn't so wild that they seem like a mismatched pair. They just mm-hmm. sort of seem like buddies. They seem like they're a little tired of their day job, and that's about it. Like, yeah. that's the majority of it. And, and that would be fun uh, a fun juxtaposition if there was wilder stuff with the dinosaurs. Yeah. Like, like, if, if they, the they go home... bored with, with yeah. something that is, to the audience, bizarre and fascinating... Yeah, can, can you imagine really that, like, they go back to their dinosaur apartment, and they pull off their masks and, like, the dinosaur heads, and they crack open a beer, and, and they, like, start eating, like, fist-sized bugs, like, out of yeah. a cage or something, and they just say, life is so boring. Like, that would be mm. funny, because it's... Yeah. It's, it's, bo- it's unexpected. Boring, yeah. Boring paired with these wild images. Yeah. But we don't have the wild stuff in this. They're trying to play it so straight. Yeah, I know. It's And it's... It's it's a real bummer because again you, you, your mind goes to all these wonderfully strange places and the the show doesn't real bummer anyway oh there is one fun quirk though and this is also very alien nation mm. where it turns out that various seasonings 
get dinosaurs high. Oh, that's right. Like yeah. ba- like uh, basil or basil, depending on uh, uh, how you prefer to pronounce mm-hmm. things, uh, is like marijuana. Yeah. Uh, but then like tarragon will fuck you up. <laughs> and they talk about how like, oh yeah, no, like tarragon's been taken off of the street. Like tarragon is completely illegal. You could go to any supermarket and get that. Hmm. You're not actually like that part doesn't really ring true uh-huh. that you've illegalized something that you can literally go to any store and buy. Like, yeah, it might be illegal for another dinosaur to find you with it, well, but I'm, it's not I'm, hard to get. It's not a controlled substance. And uh, you say it's like alienation because in alienation, mm-hmm. uh, it was sour milk. Yeah, that's uh, what got them drunk. Yeah, they they, yeah. they would drink curdled milk and that would get them drunk, and which is, uh, which is gross. Yeah, to a yeah. human. Yeah. human. Yeah, so you're looking at it like, oh, that's gross. They seem to like it, fair enough. And uh, and also, uh, something about their bi- biology, and this is one of the things that doesn't make any sense, but mm. uh, salt water, mm. just like what the what is in the ocean, is like acid to them. Like, that you yeah. throw it on them and it, it like burns through their skin. Ah, most inconvenient. Maybe they're from that planet from science. Oh, there you go. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> no, they're the Tanktonese. They're from their different planet. Okay. I don't know. I like Alienation. Is the I haven't play. seen it in forever. The the movie is uh, is a little different from the show because they mm. recast the, the characters yeah. and uh, the the show is a little bit more. Uh, it's a detective show. Yeah. Uh, the movie is a noir film, but it's a lot more detailed, a lot grungier. Yeah. And the conspiracy in Alienation was um, the ship that landed that brought all the newcomers uh, was a slave ship, and the people who were on it were uh, essentially set free when they got on when yeah. they landed on Earth, <laughs> but there were still like like slave drivers and, and owners and overseers kind mm-hmm. of amongst them. And they also had like alien drugs that they had previously used to control their slaves. And the idea was you're going to put this drug out there. It's not just going to get you high, but if you take too much of it, the, the Tanktonese like turn feral, they turn into like monsters and start okay. murdering people. Yeah. Which is the exact plot of anonymous Rex. Yeah. Cause in anonymous Rex, the idea is that this, like the, the voice of, Hmm. Logic, reason, freedom. What was it? The, vo- the voice of logic. No, um, the voice of passion. It was the, the voice, voice of progress. The voice of progress. Um, yeah, ironically, of progress. It's, ironically, it's really regressive. Where they want you to be able to like sort of embrace your inner hmm. your inner dino. And there's a scene where Sam Chamel is kind of poking around uh, in their headquarters, and he finds like a basement somewhere where a dinosaur has been going to town on raw meat. And I do like this one line. It's like dinosaurs haven't eaten raw meat since we discovered fire. <laughs> like, we we don't we won't choose it. Yeah. But so this is like just finding a feral person in a basement. It'd be very very shocking. But the idea is that to some of the dinosaurs, this is purity mm-hmm. in some kind of way. But of course, it's very very shocking, and they're going to use this as an excuse to <sighs> kill a bunch of humans. Well, and, and reassert their dinosaur yeah. identity. That and that's a big part of it. It's about freedom. It's about living in peace. Uh, yeah. The language is very flowery, but I think there's like some subsects within who want it. And, and this is where we get into X Men territory. Yeah, uh, the, the idea behind the X Men was uh, the X Men were. Uh, they're, they even joke about it in one of the Deadpool movies. Hi, we're the X Men. We're a dated symbol for racism. Like, uh, yeah. 
Well, because the idea of the X Men, the original concept behind the X Men when mm-hmm. when it was created, they was, were vic- victims of prejudice. They're well, superheroes. The original original concept was Stanley was tired of having to come up with origin stories, right? Because it was always like, ah, Daredevil was a kid. He was hit by a truck that was carrying toxic waste. Spider Man was bitten by a radioactive spider. The Fantastic Four were in space and got hit by cosmic rays. Ooh, Incredible yeah. Hulk got hit by a camera bomb. Like, it's all very arbitrary after a while. What, and what am like, I going to do to give the, these people superpowers? And so Stanley was like, what if people were just fucking born with powers? Wouldn't that be so much more convenient for me as a writer? And then extrapolate onto that. Mm. What would it be like to live in a world where some people, not all people, were born with superpowers? What would that mean? Well, it would mean that those people would probably be oppressed by people who were terrified of them. Mm. And as a result, the X-Men became uh, sort of uh, uh, you know freedom fighters, if you will. And they were uh, their enemies, their nemesis, was the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who ironically wanted something pretty reasonable at its core, which is not to be persecuted. Mm. They just went so far that they wanted to persecute well, the, uh... humans in return. Uh, just like in the David Bowie uh, mm. song, they they had to make way for the Homo Superior. Yeah, uh, the, which is uh, actually a term in the X Men. Yeah, the, yeah, and the the idea is that we're we're superpowers. We're clearly like evolving, and they believed that they were sort of the next stage of human evolution, mm-hmm. meaning they were a separate a, a separate more dominant species. Right, and so there were some mutants who thought they should be dominant and be yeah. open and just sort of rule over humans. Yeah, uh, whereas. Uh, Professor X, the main character in the X-Men, believed in harmony. They wanted to live right. in peace. And that's the difference between the X-Men and, and that particular version of this and the non Express version, mm-hmm. which is that Professor X, the protagonist, does want everyone to like be open Mm. And live together in harmony without secrecy. Yeah. Whereas in something like Anonymous Rex, we're supposed to root for everyone to stay in the closet. And I'm like... Ugh. Yeah, but Faye Dunaway's in the closet. But Faye Dunaway yeah. is there and playing Mahjong. They play a lot of Mahjong. Yeah. They yeah, try so, to use yeah. it as a metaphor. Uh, Faye Dunaway and Isaac Hayes, they're, they're essentially like the Opus Dei. They're like, they, yeah. they sit at the big table. They're like the, the dinosaur masterminds. And they're, they're the ones who are dictating, no, we don't want to reveal ourselves just yet to the humans. And Yeah. But like I said, they have like two lines each. Yeah. They, they really have nothing to do with the story no, they like, just, at they, all. They look at like a Mahjong tile and they go, ah, oh, this Mahjong tile means a thing. They try to create this sort of dinosaur ethos, which is kind of interesting because like the in this universe, this isn't like uh, the good dinosaur where the like the comet or the meteor never struck the planet Earth and killed the dinosaurs. Mm. The meteor hit. Most of the dinosaurs died. Yeah, the ones that survived had to live in secrecy because there weren't a lot of them. Don't think about the timeline too much. It really wouldn't work. There's like, oh, humans have always outnumbered dinosaurs. Always. They didn't used to be humans, but okay. Uh. So the idea is that was because that was just being hit by a meteor and this like total desolation of their entire species uh, happened by chance. The dinosaurs believe in chance, like that's almost their religion. Yeah, and so they will do things like, in order to make a very very difficult decision, we'll pick a random mahjong tile, and we'll just go with whatever that says. Mm. And it should have been like dinosaur tarot. Sure. 
Well, they D- try to they try D- to D I N O T Dino. They, they try to play it off as like, oh, it's the dragon tile of the mahjong. You're mm. like, okay, but they're not all dragon tiles. <laughs> can't always get the, got, can't always get the thematically good the, one. The chrysanthemum, you know. Yeah. Was, anyway. anyway, um, so yeah, so the bad guy is like, oh, I'm a bad guy. I'm gonna do the thing, and they kidnap uh, uh, Daniel Baldwin's daughter mm. uh, because the private detectives are getting too close to the truth, man. Uh, there's a bit where Daniel Baldwin has to go to a hip club and his daughter has to give him a makeover. Oh, uh, it doesn't right. really go anywhere. And it's not like, and it's not like all of a sudden he's got a real makeover. It's just tuck in your shirt. <laughs> Don't wear that coat. Basically. It was real, real yeah, simple. I, um, I, I felt bad for the, the teenage daughter character. Mm-hmm. Like the, they're really trying to give her like a subplot and something to do and establish the relationship between her mm-hmm. and her father. Well, clearly they're and, setting groundwork for later yeah. as her keeping, because everyone else is pretending to be human mm-hmm. and she's pretending to be a dinosaur pretending to be human. And so her plight is even more compounded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we're thinking of this as a pilot, I mean, it was sold as a movie, but it's a pilot. Yeah. And if we're thinking of it as a pilot and a pilot's job is to establish premise mm-hmm. and establish character, I feel like even then it's doing her a little bit of a disservice because mm-hmm. we don't know who she is apart from the dinosaur stuff. Yeah. What does she, what does she want? Yeah. Like, what's her, what's her goal? What's her passion? What's her dream? What do you want to be when she grows up? Yeah, and, do you and, want to be a detective? What are you doing? Like, uh, and she, I mean, I mean, she's a kid. She's only in high school, but you know, yeah. she should have like an interest. I would like to be a reporter. People in high school author, have interests. Yeah. People, when I was a kid, people asked me what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up since I was like five mm. and I was expected to have an answer. Yeah, yeah. You know, veterinarian ninja was, was, I didn't realize it wasn't an option until it was like eight. I, uh, I was asked when I was like maybe in the second grade, I was like seven years old, yeah. like, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I just, I'm, I'm, I think I even said, like, I'm fine being seven. Like, <laughs> I don't want to think about that right That's now. That's very zen. I, I forget who it was. Some, some stand up comedian was talking about how much better the world would be if, uh, Everyone did for a job whatever they wanted to do when they were seven. Uh-huh. So whatever you wanted to be when you were seven, boom, you're that now. You we have be a... so many astronauts. Yeah, so many astronauts. So, so many dancers mm-hmm. and singers. When I was a kid, um, I honestly don't even know what spawned this. Because I felt like there was like a brief period after like Jurassic Park came out. Uh-huh. Where like a bunch of kids wanted to be paleontologists. Okay. You know, that would make sense. When I was in like junior high... There was like a thing, you know. We had that kind of like mini junior high graduation, like you go like oh, from got, like eighth to ninth yeah, grade. Just, just that, yeah. We're all leaving junior high. We're gonna go to another school now and go to high school. I'm just gonna have kind of a ceremony, but we all know it's not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. But they asked everyone in my class, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" More than like two thirds said marine biologist. Interesting. It was very specific. It was not. Because everybody uh, likes sea creatures. And I guess. that live under the water is, are interesting. I guess. It just you get to swim around and play with octopi. That's great. I don't know. I keep thinking about that scene in the movie Freaked, where mm. they're all dressing as milkmen and fighting each other. And oh. Randy Quaid's like, that's a lot of milkmen on the same route. No wonder they fight. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a lot of marine biologists yeah. on the same beach. No wonder they fight. They, they handcuff their wrists together and they hold an octopus in the other hand and just <laughs> splap each other. With friends like these, who needs an enemies? Um, oh. I actually messed it up. It's supposed to be with fronds like these, who needs an enemies? Uh, but anyway. Um, 
We're not talking about the show very much because honestly, once the plot kicks in, there's not a lot to well, it. Well, really. because it, this is a, a because it's a pilot, yeah. it does nothing but establish. Yeah, and we've talked about this before that a, a pilot, uh, the story of a pilot, is usually kind of secondary to the establishments of. Yeah. stuff like you, who the characters are what they do for a living mm-hmm. what their relationships are what the setting is what the time frame is all of that mm-hmm. needs to be sort of set up you can and you can use in a whole hour yeah of tv just doing that and then it's the not plot, uncommon yeah it's not uncommon for the plot in a pilot mm-hmm. episode to get shunted to the last like 20 minutes yeah if that uh but here weirdly enough it's doing a lot of setup but the plot is still taking up a lot of space mm-hmm. because they have to do the thing that the every detective story cuz yeah. every detective story and listen I love a good private detective story I love a bad private detective story <laughs> but the private detective narrative format is a real tricky one to make interesting because there are exceptions to this but the majority often play out like this Private detective is given a job. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's a, a it's either like something innocuous that turns out to be a big deal, yeah. or it's presented as a big deal already. Uh, the, uh, they investigate the most obvious thing. They go to see the body. They talk to the main suspect. They talk to the family of the deceased. Mm-hmm. Over they, the course they, they of go, that they conversation, go, they go to they, a mansion from no, some mysterious no, rich they, guy. They, yeah. they they go they go to a place to have a conversation. Over the course of that conversation, they learn some things and probably about another person. They go track down those things and or that person. They learn something else. They go talk to another person. Mm. They go talk to another person. Oh, wait, this person says things that contradict one or more people that I've seen before or the facts that I have known before. And now I have to go back and reinterrogate them and try to figure out who's lying and who's not. And... Ultimately, what you're doing here is creating a lot of conversations and then doing compare-contrast between them. Mathematically, if you look at that as like a storytelling structure, it's kind of rote. Hmm. The trick is to add this ladle like like um, um, like poutine. Like you just want to like those you want gravy yeah, on it. Like the, the 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 plot structure is the fries. Okay? Satisfying, but a little bland without seasoning. A good private detective story will ladle character and incident and quirkiness. So it's not about, I'm going to have a conversation with a guy in an office. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to have a conversation with him at a golf course. Slightly more interesting. I'm going to have a conversation with him at a strip club where all the strippers dress as Martians. Okay, now I'm interested in this scene. This is a new thing. This says a lot about the character that they're into this. You have to ladle personality on top of it. And I feel like what's happening with Anonymous Rex, at least as a show, Hmm. is when you remove the sort of sly quirkiness that it sounds like was in the novel, according to like the the blurbs I've read, um, and you take it really seriously, then the only thing that you're relying on is backstory. Yeah. To keep it interesting. The actual things that are happening are just guys going to buildings and talking. It's actually not that interesting. It should be. Uh-huh. It should be full of dinosaur shit. But most of the time, it's not full of dinosaur shit. It is a very standard private detective story that ultimately goes to that scene where Sam Trammell is in front of a truck and it's got dinosaurs in it who are hopped up on tarragon or... I don't know something, some spice, yeah, some oregano, 
Uh, and it's basically the villain's like, hey, open it up. Like, let them out. Let's let's reveal ourselves to everyone. And he's like, nah. <laughs> and that's it. And then there's a bit of a denouement where it turns out that, like, Faye Dunaway isn't even going to punish that guy because bullshit. And then Sam Trammell and Daniel Baldwin and Daniel Baldwin's daughter are just sort of, like, walking around. And there's a moment where Sam Trammell was just, like, tempted in the middle of a crowd to yeah. just turn off his hollow projector and say, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that moment. I feel like that's a big moment that you would be so tempted to just let it all go. Yeah. Right there. Like, that's something that theoretically any dinosaur could do at any time, but most don't feel the temptation. That he does is actually an interesting character element. He's extremely uncomfortable in his non-skin. Mm-hmm. That feels like a much more complicated character than we're actually getting because, as you say, he's got protagonist syndrome. He's just kind of generic. Yeah. There's more here. Like it, it's there, there's, this should be a more interesting show. It, it, why are why are you greenlighting this? Why are you making this? Yeah. What show? You, why are you making this pilot? In your fantasy, and, what makes this a hit? Yeah, and and. If you're not going to do one of the things we've been talking about, if yeah. you're not going to make it kind of silly, or you're not going to make it uh, like a little bit more dinosaur centric, yeah, uh, if you're not going to have fun with it, this is a yeah. silly idea. Who's gonna? It's who, a fun idea. Yeah. If I just wanted a, a, a private detective show, there's no shortage. Yeah. Lean yeah. into the dinosaur shit more. Lean into. Make it weird, man. Mm. Bummer. And and you, it's like they tried to be weird, but they didn't know how. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, they get high. What do they get high on? They get high on turmeric. It's like, uh, why? Okay. Like, it's not even like and, and for they're all, okay. they're not even all herbivores. Care. You know, I, I like, don't. I don't care about the biology of it. Well, know, it's it's a little random. It's a little random, and I don't mind yeah. that. But, yeah. uh, but that's not odd. That's just like something you can get over the the counter. Imagine if they got like really high or they got really drunk on something that you might encounter every day. Like, they pass a hot dog cart, and the smell of the cooking meats, like, makes them go a little bit feral. That could be... You can have a little bit, little bit of a joke for that. It's like, oh, how are yeah. you doing? Oh, my God. Well, Danger dogs. You know, that kind of thing. One, one thing that, again, they toyed with once when they talked about triceratopses. That every type of dinosaur has a different sort of personality or sort of behavioral quirk that makes them distinctive. And this is something that I'm sure they would elaborate on in different episodes where... Oh yeah, we got to go see the Ankylosauruses. Ugh, those guys—they love their fantasy football. I don't know, just something random, yeah, you know, yeah. like. But yeah, build, you need build more, the build that, make that a, a little bit in a well, make yeah, it fun in a, in a stranger sort of a way. Yeah, and, actually, like it, the the things that they reveal are more about basically, like it's okay, we thought this out a little bit. It's mm-hmm. it's not complete, it's complete nonsense, but it's at least vaguely narratively logical nonsense. Yeah. Did, uh, but, like, I want more of the actual character of the world. Did, did you ever read Dinotopia, the James Gurney novel? I, I, or, I guess, picture book? But I, yeah. yeah, I skimmed through the pictures. Yeah. I never really, like, got yeah, into it. There was, really, there was, like, a TV miniseries of that, wasn't there? was a TV there? miniseries. Yeah. There's a really great audio series, like, oh. audio drama of Dinotopia that I recommend. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, uh, James Gurney wrote this kind of a... a a utopian story mm. about uh, explorers in like the mid 19th century who get lost somewhere on the planet and they find Dinotopia, yeah. a place where dinosaurs still exist. And it was revealed that dinosaurs are actually like hyper intelligent and they have their own like language and music mm-hmm. and art and culture. And the book is just that it's about, 
And then we went to see a brontosaurus, and here's how they play the organ. And they actually, like, yeah. drew these complicated schematics as how a brontosaurus organ might yeah. look and sound. It's like, um... And there's, read... like, a, how to translate their writing. Like, it's all this technical stuff. Did you ever read Flight of Dragons? No. I feel like that preceded... I'm pretty sure that preceded Dinotopia, and that was a whole thing where it's basically this really fabulous illustrator said, hey, what if dragons made sense? Mm. Like, how would fire breath work? And so they did a whole picture book yeah. trying to make dragons feel like less like a collection of fantasy ideas and more like actual, like, something that could plausibly have existed once. Yeah. Uh, they turned into a pretty good Rankin-Bass movie as well. Um, it also reminds me a little bit of... Uh, there was... Um, what the hell was it called? There, there was an anthology book, a book of short stories I read as a kid. Called, I think it was called Dino Fantastic or something. And it was all dinosaur-related tales. And the one that always stood out to me was it takes place in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. And Nero is really catching hell for the whole fiddling thing. <laughs> like it's a real PR nightmare. And he's trying to figure out some way to like distract people from just how he kind of dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, the gods show up. But... He doesn't, they don't look like how Nero expected the gods to look. And the way they describe them, they're wearing business suits. Okay. And it turns out, and they're telling Nero what Nero can understand. Mm-hmm. Like, to you, we're gods. We'll just let that go. We are understanding in the audience that they're time travelers. Yeah. And they say, listen, you've got a problem. You've got a PR nightmare on your hand. We've got something we just really think would be fun. So we're going to bring dinosaurs to ancient Rome. And Nero's like, oh, who are they? Oh, you're oh, you're, oh, wait, oh it's, you're, it's you not, you'll find out. <laughs> discovered dinosaur bones in in nineteenth yeah. century. It's a, yeah. it took a took us a while to find those things. Yeah. So basically, they they use their time machine to bring actual dinosaurs into ancient Rome, and then ancient Rome has to like build their whole civilization around commingling with dinosaurs, and then it cuts That's to a fun like idea too. and then it cuts to the present day, and like that just turned into a thing, and now dinosaurs are just kind of built into civilization and they've got a bunch of fun quirks like um you know stegosaurs have a brain in their tails Mm -hmm. that's just for like old recipes you only whip out at christmas (laughs) and then you know how like tyrannosaurs have those like little little hands Uh and you're like oh what would those be used for turns out perfect for playing poker (laughs) they're the best poker players in the universe that's what they do playful shit Mm. this doesn't feel playful yeah and I feel, and again, it'd be one thing if it if it like tried to play itself seriously and it worked. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's missing playfulness. The concept is so absurd that to not lean into it once in a while is distracting and weird. Or if if it if you're going to be like sort of serious about it, then mm-hmm. make uh, being a dinosaur in disguise seem like kind of dark and horrible and painful. Yeah, it's like we, we transform into these humans, but like we're, we constantly have migraines. Uh-huh. Uh, we live like. As soon as we get out of our costumes, like we have to like sleep in slime, and everything's kind of muddy, and everything's yeah. really kind of gross. Uh, we don't like our existence. Like, make it really kind of angsty. Yeah, that's really, a, that's another angle. Sure. It's not, not a show I'd necessarily want to watch, but you know, that's it a, seems like it'd be a little oppressive after mm-hmm. a while. But yeah, you could totally play like, that. Turn off. it into like an actual noir, which were yeah. tended to be kind of seedy stories. Yeah, this exactly. is very. It's very clean. It's not exciting. It's not funny. It's not fun. Yeah, it it somehow like sneaks right up through the center through all of these really interesting mm. quirky fun ideas and just ends up being kind of bland maybe the best quirky thing that happens there's 
a couple here and there. Mm -hmm. There's one bit where uh, like they're being watched in their office, and they're told if they leave their office, Daniel Baldwin's daughter will die. So they pull out their old like rubber suits and just put them in yeah, a chair yeah, as yeah. like a diversionary tag. That was kind of amusing. There's a scene towards the end where this guy was like running after Daniel Baldwin's daughter. She escaped, and he's going to kill her. And then Daniel Baldwin f catches up to them. And then Daniel Baldwin runs at him head first. Mm -hmm. And then in mid-run, like, his like, head turns I'm, into a tri uh, triceratops head, and he skewers him. Yeah. See, that's fun. That's a good time. Mm -hmm. My only regret is that, you know, he's got these, like, horns that are covered in blood and shit now. And then when he turns, like, human again, mm -hmm. his face should at least have blood on it. Well, but that's not skin. It's a hologram. So the blood is covered up. I know. It just feels a little disappointing. I don't know. It'd be kind of funny. Anyway, um, Anonymous Rex. Wait, Nate, was Anonymous Rex canceled too soon? Uh, no. Um, yeah. Again, there, there's a lot here. I, I kind of like the the way they sort of explain the premise. Mm -hmm. I felt like I knew where I was. My feet were on the ground. It's a silly premise, but I want a silly show. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a silly show. Uh, it's kind of disappointing when we discover these weird ones and they're dull. Yeah. Like, that they took a fun idea and didn't make it fun. Yeah. Uh, well... Next time, I agree, by the way, this was not canceled too soon. Mm -hmm. This was, I, honestly, the fact that they got a TV movie out of it and they were able to sell it to the Sci-Fi Network, mm -hmm. that's your win. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you, people saw it. There you go. You win. Um, next time on Cancel Too Soon, we have one more episode left for Scary Tober, and uh, we've been saving maybe the one I'm most excited about for last. Okay. Because this is a television series... Based on the, the novel Frankenstein, it is uh, directed by Marcus Nispel, who directed the uh, very well-received remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, the remake of Friday the 13th, which I actually argue is one of the better films in that series. It's a pretty terrible series, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it's, got a, it's got music by Angelo Badalamenti. It's executive produced by Martin Scorsese. And it stars. I've heard of him. And it stars Parker Posey as a detective who teams up with the Frankenstein monster to solve crimes. I repeat, Martin Scorsese executive produced a failed TV pilot starring Parker Posey as a detective who teams up with the Frankenstein monster to solve crimes. Look, we we just got really excited about dinosaurs who are in yeah. disguise and solve crimes. But we'll see if this now that it's got Parker Posey. Come it's got, on, how it's bad got could Parker it be? Posey. How bad could it be? And, and we've we've seen her on Cancel Too Soon before because she was in that High Fidelity show. Which? Oh yeah, uh, like in one episode though. She, she was only yeah. She, she was wasn't only like a regular. Episode, segment, yeah. She wasn't a regular, but yeah, she was in it. She's good in that episode. That was a good show. Mm. This we should be encouraged by that. Parker Posey is a legend. Frankenstein is kind of almost literally a legend now. Martin Scorsese, also a legend. Thomas Kretschmann? Yeah, you can get Thomas Kretschmann. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good actor, don't get me wrong, but you can get him. Yeah. Uh, 
This is one of those things where I was like, I kind of was aware that this existed, but I didn't realize how amazing the pedigree was until I was doing research for Scary Tober. So we're going to do that next week for the final episode of Scary Tober. And then Cancel Too Soon is going to take a back seat for a little while. We maybe do a couple of specials in the months to come. Yeah. But uh, that's coming up next week on Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we think you're great. And it means a lot to us that you spend your time listening to us. So please subscribe if you haven't already. That would really help. If you have subscribed and you want to help further, there's a couple of ways to do that. Uh, one way that's completely free, only takes a minute, leave us a review. Mm. Wherever you find us. Apple, doesn't matter. Leave us a star rating, even just one sentence. It really, really helps. Yeah. If you've been saying to yourself, oh, I'll, I'll do that one of these days, do it. That'd be fun. And be honest. Give us hell. Whatever. Just leave us a review. <laughs> uh, and uh, the other thing you can do is join our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, and if you do, you get a whole bunch of stuff. You get uh, all of our new episodes ad-free. Uh, you get uh, our episodes of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, one week early. You get, uh, depending on the tier you're on, uh, bonus podcasts like All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order, including Darmok, as we just mentioned. Uh, only the Best, we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We're doing commentary tracks. We recently did a commentary track for the horror film Reanimator. And uh, before the end of the month, we're planning to do a commentary track for the horror film Spooky Buddies. <laughs> Part of the uh, Buddies series, the spin-offs of Airbud, where they actually the dogs actually talk. I'm not sure if it's canon or not. It is. Oh, good. Really? I think so. No, okay. I think they, I think okay, they cool. overlap with the Airbud movies. Nice. Anyway, uh, so that would be great. And of course, you can uh, send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Winning what is a P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. And we're on the social medias. We're at Critic Acclaim on Twitter and uh, uh, Blue Sky. And I'm pretty much everywhere at William Bibiani. Yeah, That's same, my handle. Same thing. Also at William Viviani. Yeah. No, I'm actually at Whitney Sample. He's Sibble, at Whitney Sample. He's great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, and um, we'll see you next season. N next week. Next week. Yeah.